Well, turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I'll be doing my best invitation today of Darth Vader. Got a little issue going on, but we'll see what we can get by with. So uh, do, uh, we're finishing up the book of Ecclesiastes today. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And looking just at a couple verses before we... Uh, and, and bank off of those. We're not going to do what we normally do, which we pretty much stay with the text of Scripture. But uh, we're going to uh, be moving all over the Bible today. And because of that, I'll be uh, showing PowerPoints to help us uh, stay with that. But Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And Solomon concludes his book by saying that the conclusion, verse 13, when all has been heard, is the fear is fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act of judgment, everything which is hidden, which is whether it is good or evil. Fear uh, is a normal part of life. Uh, we, we fear many things, and some for good reasons. The Lord is building our DNA, the need to fear certain things. Uh, is, is not a phobia to uh, fear jumping into a, a body of water with piranha and alligators. That's not a phobia. That's a natural fear that God has given us to protect ourselves. Everybody fears things that they should fear. Or at least if they don't, they, they're going to be in trouble. Matter of fact, uh, the singer years ago, Dean Martin, some of the older folks know him, said, show, show me a man who doesn't know the meaning of fear, and I'll show you a dummy who gets beat up a lot. <laughs> oh. But the concept of fearing God is largely foreign today. We don't talk about that very much. I've only preached on that subject uh, once before, I believe, in all the years I've administered the Word. And uh, so we want to we look at the fear of God, the fear of the Lord today. Uh, many people uh, do not want to talk about this. They, they think that this is a concept maybe left over from, from pagan superstitions or medieval times. Um, they want to talk about the love of God, and they should. But the fear of the Lord is something that is also very important. About 150 times in the Word of God, the fear of the Lord is mentioned. Uh, and so it's a very important part. We can't simply dismiss what God has given us in His Word because we don't particularly understand it or like it. It's in His Word. We have to do the best we can to understand it. Somebody's afraid right now and they're calling us up and, and going to ask us to speak louder or something. But. Well, the fear of the Lord is an important part of life, as he says in verses 13 and 14. Uh, every, every reader of Scripture, if you've read the Scriptures, you know that the fear of God is, is, a, is a theme that's there often. And uh, the issue is what does it mean and how do we apply it to our lives? Should we fear God in a dreadful way uh, we're in which we're hiding out from God, we're climbing underneath our bed, afraid of what He might do to us, that we live in constant uh, turmoil, worried that we might step over a line somewhere and the Lord will do great damage to our lives? Is that how He wants us to live? Is, is that what it means by the fear of the Lord? As we'll see today, not necessarily. On the other hand, is the fear of the Lord merely respect and reverence? And uh, I would say that's part of it, but that's not the, the key as well. There's more to it than that. So we're going to look at the Scriptures together, and we're going to, look, uh, to answer questions like those about the fear of the Lord, and try to determine what God wants us to do and be in relationships to fear. In the process, we're going to unravel uh, the biblical concept of fear by looking at a number of aspects of fear. Six related issues. So we'll start first of all with fear in general. Just simple fear in general. What are we afraid of? Uh, 
Leaving aside the healthy fear of God for just a moment, uh, which we've already already mentioned, we, we need to turn to other fears that, that we struggle with and that we have in, in life. And so our world is filled with fears. Uh, we usually call them phobias. That's a popular word today, a phobia of one kind or the other. The fear of spiders, uh, uh, acronophobia, or acronophobia. So do you fear spiders? Uh, some spiders you should fear, right? Uh, the fear of flying, aviophobia. The fear of heights, acrophobia. The fear of enclosed spaces, claustrophobia. Now, a number of you have that one. The fear of crowded public places, agoraphobia. And then there's the fear of homosexuals that we hear a lot today about of homophobia. There's lots of them. There's hundreds of them. These phobias that people face and deal with, and these are basically fears, no matter what you want to call them. Uh, but these are just fears that certain people have. There are more common fears that most people have in life. So in the studies that people are doing with that, the number one fear that Americans have, you might be surprised by this, the number one fear is fear of public speaking. That's the number one fear. Number two is death, which is odd because the comedian Jerry Steinfeld says, or Seinfeld says that uh, based on those statistics, then if you went to a funeral, you would rather be the person in the casket than the person doing the eulogy. So I, so I don't know if that's really accurate or not. But uh, concerning the fact that, or concerning the fact that so many people are absolutely petrified about what other people think of them, uh, that uh, there might be some truth to that. And being in front of people, you're going to have criticism. You're going to have people have uh, opinions about you. So, so that could very well be. People are afraid to to stand up and be in front of others, and face the possibility of being made fun of. That that scares them. And nevertheless, people are afraid to die because they do not know what is beyond. Uh, we don't know uh, what is beyond this life. We've staked everything in this life, most people have. And so we do our, everything in our power to dismiss it, to ignore it, and to minimize it. And I've said this a number of times recently, but I'll do it again. Uh, I've, been, I've always been amazed when I'm preaching a funeral, and the person in the casket right here in front of me usually, and let's say it's an older person, and a lot of people have come for this loved one or friend, and they're older people as well, and I'm preaching the, the eternal truth of God's Word and how you can be saved from, from eternal death and, and all the condemnation that goes with that. And I'm sitting there preaching that, and people are there who are themselves very sick. They're, they've got their oxygen tanks. They just came back from the heart doctor. They know they're not going to live very long, and yet they come here and they totally ignore everything that's being said in the Word of God about the future and life after death. That I've never gotten over that. It just absolutely amazes me that you can know your time is almost up, but you're not going to do anything about that. And so we have to think these people somehow think they're going to skip through. They're going to get by. Some, somehow they're going to cheat the system. Uh, and yet we know that that's not true. So we fear death because we don't understand it. We also, we also fear suffering. We, we fear pain. We fear emotional and, and physical suffering. We, we fear losing what brings us comfort. And we fear losing the things that we enjoy. And we fear the future. Uh, we don't know what the future is going to be like. We do all we can to secure the future. Uh, we plan ahead for our, the events that are coming up. We, we want a good retirement program. We want uh, good health to enjoy it. We, but we don't know if that's going to be the case. 
We don't know what's going to happen down the line. We don't know what's going to happen to our children. We don't know what's going to happen to us. We don't know what's going to happen in our world. And so we fear the future. And many people live in constant uh, petrified state of the future and what it may hold because they do not know and who knows what might happen. And then finally, we fear our culture. Uh, the world around us seems to be crumbling and we don't know what to do about it. Um, and we don't know how to fix it. One study said that 74% of, of Americans fear government corruption. And that's not terribly surprising, is it? Um, many among us are living constant fear of the types of things I've mentioned, perhaps a few others. The, and fear is such a powerful force that our media and our government uh, leaders have learned how to use fear to, to get us to do what they want us to do. They, uh, the, CNN and Fox and anybody, almost everybody else, they'll flash up there something like breaking news and we all stop whatever we're doing and check out the breaking news. As a matter of fact, when I was typing up this sermon last week, right as I was writing those words, I had my phone ding and it said breaking news. And, and what did I do? I went immediately to check out the breaking, breaking news, which probably had something to do with the king's dog that had fleas or something absolutely important, you know. And yet, if they say things like that, we jump on it. We, we follow that. We want to know what's going on. And the more, if a financial guru says we're headed to Great Depression, sell all your stock, hide in a cave somewhere, then people get very nervous and they start listening to that. The more extreme the comments are, uh, the more people get nervous, the more clicks they give on their phones and whatnot, and the more outrageous the comment, the more fear, and the more fear, the more clicks, the more clicks, uh, the more people get manipulated by whoever. And so we fear these things. These are, these are part of life, and uh, we live, if we're not careful, we, we are people that live in a world full of fear. And so that's general fear, and so we, we have to accept that. The world is fearful of many, many, many things. But that leads us to the next thing we want to talk about. What are we going to do with all these fears? What, what are we going to do? And that leads us to our main topic today, the fear, fear of God, or the fear of the Lord. What is it? There's really, folks, only one solution, according to Scripture, to all these fears. And that is to shift our focus away from the things we fear in this life and to shift our focus to the fear of God. Now that may seem odd to you. You may not have heard many people say that in recent days. You may have heard of all other kinds of advice and counsel and so forth, but I believe as we'll see today that without the fear of God, you are, at, you are under the thumb of the fears of this world. That only the fear of God drives out the fears that we face in our world system. It is the fear, as Michael Horton says in his book, Recovering Our Sanity, it's the fear to end all fears. If the fear of the Lord is such a, a, a wonderful remedy to the fears that uh, we face in life, why do we hesitate to talk about it? Why are there so, so few sermons on the fear of God? Why, why, why do we have virtually nothing said about it, no, very few books on the fear of the Lord? Why is that the case? Well, I think for one reason that we're afraid that somebody might think we're a hellfire-breathing uh, knuckle-dragging Nathanderol, whatever they are, cavemen, uh, and, and we skip the topic altogether. We, we just don't want to be seen in a negative light in that way. And so we go straight to the love of God because everybody wants to talk about the love of God. And, of course, we should. We did a search for this, ser uh, this uh, series of ser this sermon today 
of songs that deal with the fear of God. So we looked at ancient songs, we looked at hymn books, we looked at modern songs. Guess how many we found? One. And we sang it today. And that's a more modern chorus type of song. It's ancient times, the old faithful Puritan types didn't write up, didn't make songs up about it. Modern people aren't writing about it. Nobody's writing about it. Nobody's putting it to song. But the Psalms have at least 25 different Psalms that, and remember, the Psalms was not only the prayer book of the Jews, it was the song book of the Jews. And so they sang, and at least 25 different Psalms, they sang about the fear of the Lord. And we don't sing about it at all today. We can't even find a song on the basis of the fear of the Lord. So it's no wonder that uh, last year the favorite book of almost everybody was a book called Gentle and Lowly. And uh, it was a description of the nature of Jesus. And while he is in fact gentle and lowly, and we, and we uh, love that, and we want to celebrate that he's gentle and lowly, it's also true that he's magnificent and fearsome. And we want to celebrate that as well. We cannot simply pigeonhole Jesus as one type of individual. We must have the full gamut of who he is and of who God is. So what is the fear of the Lord? It's finally getting around to this. What is the fear of the Lord? We're going to start with a, by looking at a definition, by looking at the words found in Scripture concerning the fear of the Lord. Uh, we, we find that it is the... Uh, we find, first of all, the Hebrew word for, for this... Uh, for fear is, is yar, which uh, it, it has a sense of a terror or dread, even a, a sense of panic. Uh, look, at, look at the passage here in chapter 3, verse, verse 10, where it says of Genesis, He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. We see Adam and Eve, uh, as soon as they sinned, they, they immediately began to fear the Lord in a dreadful way. They were terrified of him because he could destroy them and they knew he could destroy them. And so they were fearful in that way. Uh, it's a strong emotion whenever it's brought up. It's an intellectual reaction to something. The word can also mean awe and reverence. In Deuteronomy 10, it says, And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today for your good. Look at the full text of that passage of scripture. And you find that the fear of the Lord includes the love of, of him, the service of him, uh, committed to him with all of our hearts and souls, obedience to him. That's, these are wonderful features. And it's all part of the fear of the Lord. So it can be a terrifying thing. We'll look at that a little more in a moment. Or it can be something that actually draws us to a commitment to Him. The second word that we look at is the word phobia. That's the Greek word. You're, you recognize that word. And it can be a number of things. For example, it can be bone-melting dread. Just absolute terror. In, in Genesis, uh, we saw in this passage, Matthew 10.28 it says, And do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's terrifying. Uh, don't, don't fear mankind. Mankind can only do so much. Instead, fear the one that can absolutely destroy you for all eternity. And so it's a, that is a bone-melting type of dread. But it also can be exhilarating and exciting. Acts chapter 9, verse 31 
And so the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace as it was being built up as the church. And as it continued in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it kept increasing. Notice what's going on here. This church is is in peace. This, the, the church, the early church, was being built up. It was, it was in comfort of the Holy Spirit. It kept increasing, but it also continued in the fear of the Lord. A hallmark of the early church, church was to fear the Lord. Who, who would put that down on your, your doctrinal statements or the front of their, of their bulletin or whatever today? We fear the Lord. We should. We could. Because the church did. It was exciting. It's interesting. Whenever the word fear of the Lord is, is used... It's telling us that the Lord is not our buddy. The Lord is not our life coach. The Lord is, is to be feared because he is not like us. He, he is, we, we, do, we cannot comprehend him. We cannot manage him. And therefore we fear him and we properly should fear him. We often soften the definition of the fear of the Lord to simply respect or reverence. And that's part of it. We should respect and we should reverence the Lord. But the words that we're looking at and the passages we're going to see are far more intense than mere reverence and mere respect. You can respect a human, and you should in many cases. But the fear of the Lord, the respect of the Lord, it goes further than that. Jerry Bridges uh, says this in his book, The Joy of Fearing God. He suggests there's three elements to the fear of the Lord. First of all, respect. Our reverence, okay, we said that. Secondly, admiration for his glorious attributes. Notice the word admiration here. Just the, the, our, our hearts are being poured out because we are admiring who he is and what he's done. And that leads to maybe a subset, amazement at his infinite love. Why in the world did God send his son to die for us? Why in the world did he save you and me? We, we ought to be in amazement every time we consider that, every time we take the Lord's Supper, every time it, it crosses our mind that, that the infinite, holy, wonderful God of the universe loved me so much he saved me, that should be part of the fear of the Lord. We should be amazed by that every time we consider it. Tozer, A.W. Tozer wrote this, God wants to cultivate within us the adoration and admiration of which he is worthy. He wants us to be astonished at the inconceivable elevation and magnitude and splendor of Almighty God. That's a great comment right there. And I love the word splendor. Uh, we, we talk about the glory of God, and we're, we're so used to talking about the glory of God that perhaps we just run through it very quickly. But think about the splendor of God, the magnificence of God, the beauty of God, that this is the God that we worship, and the fear of the Lord is part of that. We, we, we have this proper fear of him because of his absolute overwhelming awesomeness, his splendor, his beauty, his magnificence in all these areas. Michael Horton, in a book I just mentioned a moment ago, said, he gave a short definition, he says, the fear of God is sanity. I don't really know if that is a definition of, uh, of the fear of the Lord, but it's a description uh, anybody who does not fear the Lord is insane because you're going against the grain of the universe that God created. And if you, if you knowingly are going against the grain of the universe, that's insanity. And so the fear of the Lord properly is a, the most sane thing you can possibly do. Uh, not accepting the reality 
makes us crazy, he says. We want to be, uh, be God, but we're not very good at it. <laughs> I like that comment. I think Horton has tra- tapped into something, into our problem. See, we want to be the star of our own show. We want to be number one in all things. Uh, in the opening lines of David Copperfield, it's, uh, Dickens says this uh, concerning Copperfield. Copperfield says this, Whether I shall turn out to be the hero of my own life, or whether that station will be held by anybody else, these pages must show. Right off the bat, David Copperfield, written well over 100 years ago by Dickens, is saying, look, I want to be the hero of my own story, and we'll find out in the end if I am. Folks, that's a very bad choice to be the hero of your own story. A little poem that Bridges put up I thought was interesting. He had found somewhere. It said this, When you get what you want in your struggle for self, and the world makes you king for a day, just go to the mirror and look at yourself and see what that man has to say. For it isn't your father or mother or wife whose judgment upon you must pass. The fellow whose verdict counts most in your life is the one looking back from the glass. He's the fellow to please, never mind all the rest. For he's with you clear up to the end, and you've passed your most dangerous, difficult test if the man in the glass is your friend. That's what everybody thinks, and that is absolute bunk. Who cares what you think about yourself? What does it matter if you're the hero of your own story? There's only room for one God in our lives. And that God is not ourselves. That God is the true God, the God that we fear. And if we're going to fear Him properly, then some Proverbs come into play here. In chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And the parallel verse, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so these passages tell us that the beginning of understanding life, the beginning of understanding God, the beginning of understanding ourselves, is not looking in the mirror and we'll see what we think about ourselves. It is the fear of the Lord. You will never understand any of those things I just mentioned without the proper fear of the Lord. So as I think about that with you, I'm sure some of you are still scratching your heads and what, what is the fear of the Lord? How, what should that look like in my life? So I want to move on to a, second, a third topic, actually. Uh, two kinds of the fear of the Lord found in Scripture. Two different kinds. And the first one is found in Exodus 20. Actually, both of these kinds of fear are found in this passage. And I want you to see that as these are side by side in the same passage in the same context. So what we're seeing is there are actually two kinds of fear of the Lord. Number one, let's look at this Exodus 20. And, and this is a, right at, at the giving of the Ten Commandments. The people are at the foot of the mountain uh, and they're in fear. And all the people are watching and hearing the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it at all, they, they trembled and stood at a distance. And they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us, or we will die. However, Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Now notice, do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, and in order that the fear of Him may remain with you, so that you will not sin. Do you see them side by side? On the one hand, he says, do not fear. On the other hand, he says, live in the fear of the Lord. That's kind of confusing, isn't it? 
Do not fear, but on the other hand, fear the Lord. Let's look at another passage, 1 Samuel 20, or 12. Samuel is, is talking to the people who are not doing very well spiritually. And he said to the people, do not fear. You have committed all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Indeed, you must not turn aside, for then you would go after useless things which cannot benefit or save because they're useless. For the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name, because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. Furthermore, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, but I will instruct you in the good way, the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. Do not fear, he says, even though you've sinned, the Lord is faithful. The Lord has made a promise to you. He is going to take care of you. He will not abandon you, but you should live in the fear of the Lord. So again, a little confusing. Do not fear, but live in the fear of the Lord. That tells us then there are two different kinds of fear that we're talking about in reference to the Lord. So let's start with the first one. There are times when, the fear, when we think of the fear of the Lord, it is a fear in which we should be terrified. We should be absolutely terrified. And that is true primarily for the unbeliever. The unbeliever, if they understood who God is, they understand his de their destiny should live in absolute terror. They, should, they shouldn't be able to sleep at night. They should be living constantly in, in a fear that their eternal destiny weighs in the balance and they are lost and that forever. We find that all over Scripture. Adam and Eve, what we mentioned a while ago, is chased out of the garden by, by God's angels. They're in fear, terror. They're, they're, they're not being drawn to God. They're running from God because they're afraid of God. And then we have the, the demons, for example, in jo James chapter 2. The demons, it says, you believe that God is one? You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. The demons are very good theologians, you know. They know who God is. They understand his greatness and his splendor, and they absolutely are in terror of him. They, they believe and they shudder at every thought of God because they know their destiny, and they know what, who, who God is and what they're not. On top of that, we have the, in, in the tribulation, when the Lord is bringing judgment down on the world during that time, we find that the vast majority of humanity runs from God. They don't run to Him. They don't repent of their sins. They're fearful of Him. And here's what they say. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the sight of Him who sits on the throne. And from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? What an amazing thought. They, 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 will not, they do not turn to God. They hide from God. And we find that all the way through the book of Revelation. When Martin Luther, uh, after he was saved, he was asked at one time, uh, before you were saved, did you love the Lord? Because, you know, he was a seminary teacher. He read the Bible all the hours every day. He taught the, the theology. That's how he got saved, by going through the Bible. He said, no... Before I was saved, I did not love him. I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. He hated God. And that's what the unbeliever does. Without Christ, we see nothing in God but anger and terrible judgment. And so the unbeliever 
does not want anything to do with the Lord. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 31 says, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Think about that. A terrifying, fearful thing if we fall into the hands of the living God. And the reason why, Revelation 20 verse 15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Eternal judgment for those who reject the Lord. So there should be fear in their hearts and minds. But you know what? According to Romans chapter 3 verse 18, which is the conclusion of a list of characteristics of the natural person, the person without Christ, at the state we were born in and our stay in unless we come to Him, at the end of that conclusion it says this, there is no fear of God before their eyes. That means that the unbeliever does not fear God at all. They should be terrified from, uh, of Him, and sometimes a few will be, but most simply skip through life and pay no attention. You don't have to be a, a philosopher or a theologian to know that. Just listen to how people talk. Listen to, the, to how they take the Lord's name in vain and curse in His name and curse Him. Watch how they live in defiance of what they know to be true uh, in, in their morals and their lifestyle. And, and when we do that, we begin to realize that most people have no fear of God before their eyes. They don't live in that way. John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, said this, It is the, it is the devil's work to pr promote a fear of God that makes people afraid of God such that they want to flee from God. Now Bunyan's taking us a little different direction here. He's pointing out that, that the fear of the Lord is not designed to cause us to run from Him. That is a trick of the devil. The fear of the Lord is designed to draw us to Him. And that's a totally different thing. Anyone fleeing from God are being deceived by the devil. The Lord doesn't desire us to flee. He desires us to repent. But how about the believer? Is it different for us? Go to Hebrews chapter 12 with me. Let's actually go back to the, the scripture itself. We'll pick up this wonderful section, Hebrews chapter 12. And the author here is contrasting the Old Testament people with what we have in Christ today. And I want to read a, a several verses here for that reason. In verse 18, he says, and he's pointing back to the Old Testament people, For you, us Christians, have not come to a mountain that cannot be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness, and gloom, and a whirlwind. And to the blast of the trumpet and the sounds of words which sounds were such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command. If even a beast touched the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses says, I am full of fear and trembling. There was the fear, true terror on the part of these folks at that moment in time. But he says about us, listen to these words, folks, as Christians, he says this, But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the merits of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkling blood, sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. We have a whole different drawing to God. These people at the, at the 
foot of the mountain where the Ten Commandments were being given were shaking in their, literally shaking in their sandals. But we've been called to something very different. We have been called to uh, this wonderful relationship with God. The book of Hebrews is constantly about draw near to God. You don't need to run from God. You don't need to flee from God. You draw near to God, but you draw near to God when He saves you from your sin, when you recognize your inability, your hopelessness, your lostness, and you turn to Him in repentance and faith and receive His gift of salvation. And when you do that, you now are in His family and you have a whole different world. And you're being drawn to Him, not fleeing Him any longer. Bunyan wrote, The Spirit's work is the exact opposite, to produce in us a wonderful fear that wins and draws us to God. And it's to this happy, Scripture-commanded, Spirit-breathed fear that we now turn. I'm going to read a quote by a man named William Ames. Most of you don't know him. He's very well-known in some circles. He said this, Sinful fear is that fear in which scares men away from God or which drives them to fly away from Him. That's sinful fear. In contrast, the fear that Scripture commands or commends is that, is that where the principal cause of our fear is not any evil which we are in danger of, but the excellent perfection of God. This is turning it around, folks. This is things that many of us have never thought about. The, the evil, the sinful fear makes us want to run from God as far as we can go. Proper biblical fear of those who know Christ draw us to Him in every way. Okay. I want to go back and show another passage of Scripture. Isaiah chapter 11. This is about Jesus. This is Jesus. And then a shoot will spring up from the stream of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, and the Spirit of counsel and strength, and the Spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make decisions by what his ears hear. Think about that. This is a description of Jesus in his incarnate state. When he was on earth, he lived also in the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? That means, folks, that he delighted in his Father. He was drawn to his Father in every aspect of his being. He has set that example for us. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 20, uh, this is it, at, the, at the giving of the Ten Commandments. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, and in order that the fear of the Lord may remain with you, so that you will not sin. Notice he tells us not to be afraid, at the same time fear him. There's a difference, a different kind of fear. In Psalm 147.11, the Lord favors those who fear him, and those who wait for his faithfulness. So he's talking here then about this fear of the Lord that draws us to him because of his splendor, his majesty, his love, his greatness. All these things as a child of God draws us to him. We want to be as close to him as we can. We want to, he's not our buddy. He's not our life coach. He is our splendid, glorious savior. And we live with him in a proper understanding of him as given in scripture. But we're not in this this trembling fear 
in which we're afraid that if we maybe make a mistake or sin or, or say the wrong thing, he's just going to knock us out and take us out. A lot of Christians live like that, just fearful they might do something wrong and God's just going to obliterate them. What a tragic thought that would be. But instead, the fear of the Lord is to be drawn to him because we see the glory and the wonder of him. Aristotle said, no one, no one loves the man whom he fears. By contrast, no one loves the Lord who does not have proper fear of him. Let's move to a fourth subject quickly. The consequences of not fearing the Lord. What happens if you don't fear the Lord? What are the consequences? Well, here's a few. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And just as it is destined for the people to die once, and after this comes judgment. And secondly, 2 Thessalonians 1, 9 uh, these people will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power forever. The consequence of not fearing the Lord properly is for the unbeliever is to be found in eternal judgment. Now for our society and for our in, most individuals who have lost the fear of the Lord and don't understand the fear of the Lord, we are increasingly, and notice this, we're increasingly neurotic. We're increasingly more anxious. Uh, we're bothered and just troubled by everything. Therefore, we either fear the Lord as he's meant to be feared, or we're at the mercy of our fears and of our circumstances. And this is exactly, friends, why so many people are enslaved to so many things. They're enslaved to anxiety. They're enslaved to phobias. They're enslaved to insecurities and every form of neuroses. They're enslaved to these things because these are fears. And the only thing that can drive out these fears is a proper fear of the Lord. And that is why we have countless people today trying to escape and cover up their fears through the use of drugs and alcohol and immorality and suicide and many, many other things. We live in a fearful age. We live in a world that is neurotic. We live in a world that doesn't know what's going on, and, but we live in a world where very few people understand the fear of the Lord. What would that look like? What would be the characteristics of the fear of the Lord, our fifth subject? What would that be? Well, first of all, it would be obedience. Ecclesiastes, the conclusion when everything has been heard is fear God and keep His commandments because this applies to every person. The one who fears the Lord, how do you know if you fear the Lord? You obey Him. Because you have a proper respect and understanding in all, and, and you worship His glory, and you want to obey Him. Deuteronomy chapter 6 said, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments, which the Lord your God has commanded you, me to teach you, so that you may do them in the land where you are going over to take possession of it, so that you, your son, and your grandson will fear the Lord your God, to keep all of His statutes and His commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and all the day, and your days will be prolonged. We put these verses together with many others, and the fear of the Lord looks like total sellout to Jesus Christ. Total commitment to Him. All who fear the Lord want nothing more than to be totally committed and obedient to Him. There is no other higher goal in life than that as we worship Him. Other things as well, though, we have wisdom. We've already seen that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And then there's Proverbs 3, 5 to 7. There's guidance. Everybody likes this one, direction. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. 
and he'll make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Do you want to be going in God's direction? Do you want to live life the way God wants you to live life? Part of, that, part of the process is to fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And then, next, there is true life. The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life, but which one may avoid the snares of death. The fear of the Lord, Proverbs 19.23, leads to life, so that one may, may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. We find here then that we find true life, true life, abundant life in the fear of the Lord. And then there's peace, our contentment. The fear better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with, and turmoil with the treasure. I think that might be wrong. But nevertheless, it's contentment in him. And then finally, turning from evil. Proverbs 16, 6 says, By mercy and truth, atonement is made for wrongdoing, and by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. Turning from evil, all the way through the fear of the Lord, becomes one of the great motivating factors of our whole life and existence. We'll conclude by looking real quickly at a benefit or two of the fear of the Lord. Uh, Michael Horton says, the fear of God drives out all other fears. That's where I've got my title here. It drives out all other fears. God does not frighten us into submission. Instead, he draws us by the cords of love. Godly fear, in fact, turns out to be synonymous with love. And Jonathan Edwards gets the last word today. He says, if men fear God as they fear the devil, they flee from him. But if they fear him as being the real, what he really is, they will flee to him. It is the wrong fear or servile fear which is cast out by love. You know you fear the Lord, folks. Even if you, This is a complicated thing, I know that. You know you fear the Lord when you're drawn to the Lord. When, when you, you chase after the Lord. When what you want most in life is to be with Him and to live for Him and serve Him. And you do that because you fear Him in the biblical sense that you recognize His splendor, His awesomeness, His unbelievable love, His great attributes, His magnificence. When we see Him in that way, then we fear Him properly. And when we see Him that way and fear Him properly, we want nothing more than to be His kind of people and to chase after him in every way. We draw, are drawn to him. We're not pushed away from him. We don't flee from him. We come to him. That is the fear of the Lord. I hope this has been helpful today. Father, we pray and thank you for this subject. It's a tough one, but Lord, it's so important. We thank you for so much that your word has to say. We trust we've been able to unfold some of those things. We pray for each person here, Lord, as they examine their own lives in light of these, these texts of Scripture in light of what you've said, and they might be able to look at their life as a, uh, from your perspective to draw to you, to run to you, Lord, with a great fear and great love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.